The Cambridge Film Show on Cambridge 105 Radio. Hello there and welcome to another edition of the Cambridge Film Show broadcasting here on the Cambridge 105 radio across the across the city and South Cambridgeshire. Thank you to Ian for the last hour and what better way to follow that up than by listening to a selection of opinions on most of the films available right now. So grab your popcorn, find a sofa and let's settle in to the Cambridge Film Show. It's the last show before May and the start of the summer blockbusters and to be fair the sun has finally come out to play but Blinken you could miss it but you know where is always warm? a cinema or your lounge. So we've picked an eclectic mix of new releases and streamers this week from all around the world and in fact this is a first on the Cambridge Film Show. We have eight films to discuss so expect a whistle stop tour. I'm Emma Marchant hosting but really just marshalling the voices in the studio this week. Today we have Vicky Eyre. Hello. Will Johnson. Hello. Matthew Taylor. Hello. Ashley Whitaker. Hello. And making her debut, Emily Heimrich. Hello. So let them tell us what to head for and what to miss. For this hour, we're going to be looking at eco-political thriller How to How to Blow Up a Pipeline, star-studded and cameo-packed action rom-com Ghosted, Japanese director Makoko, sorry, Makoto Shinkai's follow-up to the beloved Your Name and Weathering With You, Suzume, and coming-of-age heist adventure Polite Society. We're also going to take a trip to Oslo's modern art scene in biting and pitch-black comedy Sick of Myself, check in with Florence Pugh and Morgan Freeman dealing with the aftermath of a tragic accident in Zach Braff's A Good Person, and follow the trail of a mother gone missing in um, Missing. But before all of that, let's start with the first new addition to the Evil Dead franchise in 10 years, Evil Dead Rise and Let the Blood Flow. No matter how busy you ever got, you always found time for me. I can't believe I'm never going to speak to you again. Just a little girl, I asked my mother. What is this, Danny? I found it. The Evil Dead franchise started in 1981 with Sam Raimi's original where five friends found themselves unwittingly awake flesh-eating demons. 42 years and four films later, Irish director Lee Cronin hasn't strayed too far from the premise of the origin story, this time with an estranged sisters reunion in downtown LA becoming inundated with both demons and gore. Vicky, I'm coming to you because you are a horror maestro and also I'm presuming you've seen all the Evil Dead films. How did this compare? You presume absolutely correct. Um, I'm a big Evil Dead fan. You know, Bruce Campbell's a bit of a legend. He's instantly recognisable, um, even out of the horror scene. Um, so this is like, the after, you know, 10 years ago, the remake of his kind of original back in the day, this is a kind of standalone um, since then. It's kind of gone on its own. And I think although there is some different opinions that I know, I think it handled itself quite well. I think, you know, I'm a big gore fan, and they there's halfway through the film where there was a certain scene, it's become a bit infamous, it's known as the cheese grater scene, and I think since then, 
Like, it took a point where it just like it just let loose after then. Just didn't care about how ridiculous the goal got, and I appreciate that. I think it was a, almost a love letter to a lot of '80s films. And you know, he was like, "Pick." Um, there's a certain scene. It's like got from the thing. It's like, look, watch what we can do to like appreciate this genre as a whole. Okay, that was. I'm gonna. I'm literally gonna come around the room this time. So, Will, that was Vicky's take. She was here for the gore, the rivers of gore. Was it just rivers of gore? Is this genuinely scary? Did it have a really spooky story? How did you find it? Um, I believe it had quite a, quite a lot of gore. Um, a few jump out moments, but then, well, it's called Evil Dead Rise. I called it Evil Dead Dies. I did not like it at all. I know it's produced by Bruce Campbell, but it was nothing like the old Bruce Campbell, you know, with the Army of the Dead, which made you laugh. It was scary, but, you know, just had that feeling to it. I um, thought the script was weak, difficult to watch, and obviously, as, as I said, it was nauseating at times, and there were only two good bits in it. Five minutes from the end, which, well, if you watch it, you'll actually see. Um, and then, when the credits rolled. And the eh, $50 wow, million dollar budget. I know, $50 million dollar budget, which will make it back easily but it's a big no from me i'm sorry wow okay big so a, a strong yes from vicky a big no from will um will sort of touched on that a little bit about sam rami's you know vision or, or, or what we think of or at least what i think of like because i've seen the first three evil dead but i haven't seen these kind of reboots so again d- does it does it have a Raimi feel about it matt is it true to that kind of you, you know where, where this came from 40 odd years ago i don't think it really lived up to the Raimi originals because I feel like they had a sort of heart that this film didn't really have for me. I mean, I'm going to sound like a bit of a hypocrite because I spent last week's show talking about how much I loved the gore of The Pope's Exorcist. And this has a ton of gore, and I'm no squeamish uh, person around gore. Like I, I like seeing Michael Myers stamp on a cop's head until it bursts like a pumpkin as much as anyone else. But I felt like the gore in this was just very nasty. I mean, we set up the characters and they just seem like normal people just living a normal life and trying to get by. And then we just watch a procession of very horrible things happen to them that are quite visceral and unpleasant. I didn't get like a real sense of uh, f- feeling like I was enjoying it. I just didn't enjoy seeing these horrible things happen to them because they felt like real people. So is it borderline torture? Is it borderline like torture porn, as you would say, like the kind of Saw franchises and things like that? I, I don't. I think it could almost verge on that point, but it held itself back a hundred percent. It's 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 still it doesn't have the same comedic feel as the same Raimi films at all. But it's still like it's still got like hilarious interludes, and I think they did it in a different way. They there's no character backstory here. They try to build it, it failed. They you don't care about the characters because something horrible is going to happen to them and you won't care it's almost these characters are so unlikable that it was better when they became the evil dead because you had more appreciation for them i really just was waiting for them to like oh come on like kick it in because they were just all like the script was really lacking and you could tell that like it was it was getting to the point where I was like, I need something drastic to happen and I need to happen quick and that's exactly what happened. And I need it to happen to these awful people. Yeah. Ash, you famously normally need a babysitter to go and see horror films but secretly we know you love them. Where did this sit in your canon of, you know, clown fear to... Um... I, I did need Victoria to explain it to me and now she has explained it to me, I get it because I think the Scream franchise is the highest calibre of horror, horror film because I like kind of trashy, trashy slashes and the more the Scream franchise kind of laughs at itself and gets predictable, I'm like, yeah, it's a Scream film, that's what's supposed to happen 
and I was live texting Simon from the show while I was watching this and I was like Jesus Simon this has just happened like, and it's the worst thing I've ever seen he's like oh yeah that happens in all the films I was like what the no um, so it's not my type of horror film but now the premise explained to me I can appreciate it for that I did really like the actress they put in the in the kind of the lead role the mother that becomes mm. possessed Alyssa Sutherland because she has this kind of otherworldliness about her so I truly believed in her possession it's not something I will go back and watch the rest of because I know I don't like this kind of thing. And if it's all as bad as this, gore-wise, I won't be able to handle it. OK, I've got one last question to throw out to anybody, really. D this was the first one, as I said, in 10 years after kind of rebooting the franchise after Book of the Dead. They mm. rebooted it and then they waited 10 years and they brought this out. Do we think, knowing what an appetite we have for horror out there anyway and what an appetite filmmakers have for making horror because as we know it's pretty cheap to do and it can get really good returns do we think that this is going to become sort of Halloween-esque in its in, in you know should we expect to see more in the next 10 years I feel like uh, they've definitely used this as a reboot to kick off and um, it got the buzz running I feel it was a bit lazy because like obviously it has the appeal because of the name but almost it could have done better if it was a standalone it has a common law but it's almost the common law throughout almost so many horror films nowadays that they could have just distanced themselves and started afresh but it it feels a bit tired that the, but I know they're going to run it for at least another four films or so I, I think it will do well I mean the, the name alone and the level of gore will ensure it finds an audience w one thing I was a bit uncomfortable about was the fact that there's a child in it I mean it's so gory and horrible that we've decided as a society that children shouldn't watch these kind of things but apparently they can be in them which did make me feel a bit uncomfortable I about love the whole that. thing I well, I love that they just didn't care that let's the child hope, was there the whole time. Let's hope there was a lot of on-set care for that child and she's now in deep therapy for um, oh, her gosh. role in this. Um, right, as I said, we've got so much to do this week, so we'll move on. But I'm thinking, yeah, obviously Vicky loved it, Matt not so much, Ash is on the fence and Will positively hate it. So there you go, make of that what you will. It is a Certificate 18 Evil Dead Rise, and rightfully so by the sounds of things, and it's currently showing at The Light and The View. Next up, let's see what happens when a romantic getaway in Cartagena goes south. You need to let the police handle this. I tried! I'm not giving up on my mom. Siri, call June. Mom, this is FaceTime. Oh, gosh. I need you to write a couple of things down. The car keys. I just said write it down. You're not writing it down. Kevin and I are headed to LAX, and we need you to pick us up on Monday. Keep your location on the entire time I'm away. No fun. Got it. Hi, this is Grace Allen. Please leave a message. Mom? Where are you guys? My mom never came home from her trip. I don't know where she is. I'm calling about a guest. Missing tells the story of June, the only child of the widowed Grace Allen. When Grace heads off to Columbia with her newish boyfriend, leaving June home alone, initially June's only priorities are securing alcohol and throwing one heck of a four-day house party. But when her mother does not arrive back at LAX as scheduled, June then needs to use all the tricks the internet and social media has to offer to find her mother. 
Emily, I'm going to come to you first. As a contemporary of June, because the rest of us are a little older, um, did this use of of social, like like we just said, you, you know, this is filmed in a way that it's all just social media and the internet, and it's all it's all filmed almost through those cameras. Did it ring true? Did you sit there and think, yeah, I would do exactly this if my mum went missing? I I don't think I'd be a, as genius as she was. She she seemed very very well equipped to um to find her mum in this situation, but I think that yeah, it was. Compared to a lot of things these days, it was very accurate of what social social media is, and and I didn't find myself thinking that I wouldn't text my friends in this way, like I do a lot of films. Um, I think that I think that my favourite part of the film was her Google searching how to throw a rager on a budget. I found that <laughs> hilarious. Um, but yeah, I, I also appreciated the multiple tabs open representation, but was very confused as to how her computer didn't shut down from all of the from all of the tabs open um i thought it was very entertaining and i haven't seen searching which is the um the i think it's the prequel not a prequel yeah. but it's kind of a spiritual yes prequel, yeah um so this was the first time i've ever seen a film done like this completely through social media i found it hilarious the um this the more serious scenes were filmed through the facetime camera um, on her computer, which I just found brilliant. It was great. Great. Ash, um, you're not quite a contemporary, but you are obviously still more youthful than I am. Um, right, you really love this. You, in fact, I think, almost said this was your film, but you, you were very enthusiastic after having mm. seen this. Can you tell us why? Well, that is technically because the other two were so bad um, <laughs> until I saw a good person. But this is this is just a nice, straight-to-Netflix-y type thing, but with a lot of effort put into it. I also did like the filming through the mobile phones and the laptops. I don't normally like that. Um, and they've been trying to make films like this for a good 10 years now, and they are getting much better at it. And it is now more believable, because 10 years ago, someone her age would not have those skills. Now I believe they do. She's hacking into, like, the global CCTV infrastructure, which you can do pretty easily. I'm sure I could figure out if I could be bothered to Google for that long, but I'm a boomer, so I can't. I'm not really. I'm a millennial. Um, <laughs> But I really liked Nia Long playing the mum. She was complicated. Ken Leung, who's a sexy actor anyway, I would totally have been lured by him on a dating app. Um, and I think they put the effort in where I was thinking, I know what's going to happen, straight to Netflix type film, but then there was a twist and then another and then one more and then a final one at the end. I was like, okay, good. You're not being lazy here. This is an interesting storyline. The script is working. All the actors are doing very well. Altogether, nothing was cheesy. I believed all of it, which is wild because it's a wild ride. I think you're right as well. It, you know, it has a nice tight running time, and in fact, you brought something up there that I was going to say. We, this is still in cinemas and it's doing pretty well. Yet it did have a feeling of something that would have gone straight to Netflix. Are we surprised by that, or are we pleased to see that there is still a space in cinemas for these kind of maybe lower budget romps, if you like? Is this? Is this the one this week? There was one this week that did so well with the test audiences that they put it in cinemas. And this has me feeling that this might be it. I can't find the information, but there's one that we're reviewing this week that was supposed to go straight to Netflix and it just did so brilliantly. They shoved it into a cinema. Um, I am surprised because with a teenage girl on the front cover um, and not many more people in it, 
that's a hard audience to make money out of. Um, Ali, this is really Storm Reed is playing June, and she, I, she was, she, she sort of made her name, I think, in A Wrinkle in Time, and then A Wrinkle of Time, Wrinkle in Time, and then I've recently seen her in one of the big sort of standalone episodes of The Last of Us. Uh, do you think that she held the centre here? Was it a fine performance? I mean, Ash has pointed out Nia Long and Ken Lung, and also there's the charming guy who plays Javi, who's a sort of task oh, rabbit from Columbia. I also like, but what did you think of um, what did you think of Steam Storm Reed? I thought she was brilliant. I mean, I've seen her in Euphoria, and she is just amazing. She's she plays the frustrated teenager very well, and I think that she kind of carried the um, yeah the younger younger uh, group of actors for this for this. And Will, you also had a good time at this film. What would you like to point out about it? Hmm. Well, if I was actually if I was actually um, her, I wouldn't be able to throw a rager like that, seriously. Um, but it was very intriguing. It's a great mystery thriller. And it was well scripted. And I th- hate to admit it, but I went in not enjoying it and came out loving it. Um, because you're stuck with who's the good guys, who are the bad guys. And then, as I said, there's loads of killer twists. So, brilliant. Well, there we go. That's Missing, which has had, a, you know, that's had a sterling right up from all around from our critics, I would say. I saw it as well, and I greatly enjoyed it. It's a lot of fun. Um, and I, it's still showing, I believe, at the light and the view. And, um, yeah, it's well, well worth a watch. And it's a certificate PG-13, I think. Sounds about right. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> Thanks very much. Right, moving on to the first of our streamers of the week. It is A Good Person, Zach Braff's fourth directorial debut. <laughs> fourth directorial debut. Fourth directorial effort. And effort is maybe the right word. <laughs> Wake up with the sun in the morning. Go to sleep with the moon at night. For the model train enthusiast, we lord over a world where the neighbors are always kind, the lovers always end up together. Allison, every memory I cherish has you in it. I love you. And the trains always take you to the far-off places you always swore you'd go. In life, of course, nothing is nearly as neat and tidy. Aren't you engaged to Nathan Adams? I was, yeah. I heard what happened to you, the accident. The woman that died was about to be my sister-in-law. Florence Pugh, possibly the most in-demand British actor of her generation right now, stars as Alison, who spirals into depression and addiction, Oxycontin addiction, after her involvement in a fatal accident. Scooping her out of this eventually is Morgan Freeman, model railway enthusiast, but also her ex-fiancé's grieving and estranged father. Ash, it's only you that's seen this this week. Well, you and I, actually. We've both, we, we both seen this. <laughs> Lucky right. for everyone else. And as you pointed out earlier, you are not a boomer. You are, in fact, a millennial. <laughs> so I imagine that Zach Braff spoke to a generation of you when he released Garden State with Natalie Portman back in 2004. I would describe that as generation-defining Garden State. It was the greatest thing I'd ever seen at the point at which it came out. In which case, did this not seem even more like an enormous disappointment? I almost felt like he's trying to... It, it's almost like trying to, whatever they say, capture capture lightning in a bottle again for the yeah. second time. It just felt like he was retreading this, but you were like, Zach, you are 20 years older, we are all 20 years older, this isn't working. It's... I, 
I don't, I don't know why, I just felt it wasn't going to work when I went into it. I was not holding it up to a Garden State standard. I knew he couldn't make that happen again. And I was sceptical because he's had he's got Florence Pugh in there and they were together at the time and that always feels a bit, it's not going to work. Morgan Freeman felt a bit shoved into a film like this. I'm like, why would you put an actor like that in a film like this? And he does kind of take it down several gears and he's kind of doing a Morgan Freeman in a way. Um, the best thing in this was Molly Shannon as um, Florence Pugh's mum, and she's not in it that often. She's nice and complicated. But every single thing was on the nose. The script, the twists, the costuming, the haircutting, the eye-rolling, the payoff at the end. It was... It was film school level of obvious. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I would agree. Because, like I said, the thing about the Garden State, this is that you know we're back in New Jersey. We have a very attractive female lead, but she is, you know, she's suffering from so troubled. Exactly, deeply troubled. I mean, in this case, to be fair, she has a really good reason to be troubled. I'll give her that. Although it's only sort of towards the end that, that I, I don't think it's giving too much away to say that, that effectively she is the driver of a car that kills her fiance. Yes, they say that in the trailer and brother-in-law. So it's not giving really anything away and and it's you know questionable if it is her fault or not but certainly there's no repercussions they never sort of point out that maybe she should not have been looking at her phone at that point until morgan freeman does yeah at the very end and until then it's just a long litany of kind of self pity it was it, just like i said i just thought this is like they've got the same sort of soft folky indie soundtrack you heard some of it there on the on, on the um Trailer. on the trailer it just I just was really disappointed and I think I was annoyed again that someone like Zach Braff who probably has a lot of power in Hollywood and honestly they have been all over Instagram you know he and his mates have really um, publicised the heck out of this a little bit like the old um, Andrea Riseborough Oscar, oh, nomination. Oscar nomination. You know, social media has a lot to a, a lot to answer for these days, and I just felt that they've you, they they big this up so much. I went in there, I went into this expecting a really touching film, and I found an overlong, cliched mess. I think it's it's probably going to be a fifteen here. It's rated R in America. If this was a twelve A, if they could have made it a twelve A, it's on a streamer. It could have found an audience in that way because it's quite accessible because it's so simple and not very clever at all. So I think much younger people could have enjoyed this, but it's just not for grown-ups. Well, that's a good point, actually, because it's not just Florence Pugh who's grieving, and she's obviously in her mid to late 20s. You also have the daughter, the, the orphan daughter, yeah. or Morgan Freeman's granddaughter, and she's yeah. also going through her own journey. And actually, I thought she, she's that very story powerful was character. more interesting than Florence Pugh's. Yeah, it's, there's nothing that. that terrible. It could very easily be a 12A, I think. So let your tweens watch this on the streamer. They will like it. Yes, and it will also warn them of the use of OxyContin, which is always Stay a good thing. Stay clear of opioids, kids. Um, yeah, OK, well, there you go. That was a, a, a stunningly mediocre review from both myself and Ash for A Good Person, which was showing in cinemas, I think, in the States, had a cinema release. It's now showing on Sky Movies or Now TV, if you have that. And it is indeed a certificate 15. But we're going to head back into cinemas and a brand new release from yesterday. Let's take, take a listen to a bit of the trailer for Polite Society. I'm Rhea Khan. I am going to be a stunt woman. My sister Lena is the only person who believes in me. Want to help me with a vid for my channel? Please! She helps me with all my training. You are going to be such a great stunt woman. That was dope though. But lately, she's been seeing this guy who I think is a bit of a... Lena, it's a trap. Oh my God, Ria, chill out. Now, I'm not being dramatic. 
But these people are evil. I would like to just shout out some amazing engineering there from Ash to make sure that we didn't offend any of our listeners. That was some of the trailer for Polite Society, which is the feature feature-length debut um, from Nida Manzor, who's a British writer-director based, best known for being the creator of TV show We Are Lady Parts, which I must admit I have not seen. It is a story of sisters Rena and Lena, Rena and Lena or Rena and Lena, whose close relationship is threatened when Lena becomes engaged to the Dishi Salim. Rena, Ria, who dreams of being a top stunt woman, decides it is her mission to save her sister from this impending marriage. Will, uh, Will and Matt, I know you guys were just about the only people in the cinema last night, right? But yes. you guys loved it. So I think we should really be trying to sell this to audiences to get out and watch it. Will, I'll start with, um, sorry, Matt, I'll start with you. You said this could only have been better if, if you know, your favourite stuntman himself had performed a cameo in it. Um, tell us a bit, because I don't, I, I haven't seen it and the trailer doesn't necessarily give us the core of this sort of feisty story. I, I think I might have oversold it then when I was speaking to you because I feel that this didn't quite work. It's sort of a, a slightly awkward mishmash of a few other films. It's sort of a little bit of Bend It Like Beckham, uh, a little bit of Get Out, uh, but it, it never quite came together for me because... Oh, also a little bit of Scott Pilgrim because Rhea, who's the aspiring stuntwoman, has these kind of crazy ideas about what her life is like and the sort of first half of the film you can kind of read it as oh she's imagining how the fight she's having is going or she's imagining all these things and then in the second half of the film it goes oh no no, no really there is something crazy going on and the local sort of Pakistani mother is actually just a complete insane megalomaniac genius which then I thought well how does this relate to the actual world um, that said, there are a lot of things to like about it. I thought the central cast were all great, having a really fun time, and there's a lot of humour in it, and the humour's done really well. But for me, just the kind of awkwardness of the plot didn't quite work, unfortunately. OK, Will, you were, like I say, you and Matt were both very keen to, to, to have this on the roster today and go and see it. Were, have you seen any of Nida Mansell's work before, or was this new issue? Was it more just a kind of the synopsis of the film that attracted you to it, and were you left fulfilled? Um, I think it was more the synopsis, because I saw the trailer about two months ago and thought, you know what, this looks like some good fun. I'm going to actually just go and watch it. Um, so I loved it. I highly recommend this film. Um, what can I say? Good stunts, good choreography. I feel like the choreography, it, it was fine. Maybe, maybe that's what I'm trying to say. I think if I'd watched this film in the context of going to a film festival or seeing it on ITV or something like that, I'd think, oh, yeah, that was actually really cool. But for a cinema release, I think it just didn't quite have the the quality and the kind of sheen of what you might expect from a sort of modern action movie. So almost like produ the production value felt... A yeah, make, because it looks like they're doing a lot of their own stunts and it was kind of impressive from the context of, oh, yeah, this is a British martial arts film. But when you compare it to something like John Wick, it just doesn't hold a candle to it. That does, I mean, that's a bit punchy, isn't it? Comparing this debut feature, feature to John Wick in all... But, okay, I see, no, but, but, I see but, but that's the from. thing. You sort of, when something's yeah, out at it. the cinema, it has to compete with everything else that's available for your attention. Well, I think after the ads, we're going to be talking about Ghosted, which obviously wow. went straight to streamer. So, yeah, and I do <laughs> think this is the world we live in now. Five years on into this, we do live with, with, with these choices of cinema and streaming, and it's interesting to see how some things make it into cinemas and some things don't, and, and, and what, the, what, the, yeah, what the reasoning is behind that. I haven't heard of either Priya Kansara or... Rita Aria before the two leads who are playing Rhea and Lena. Did they have a nice sibling chemistry, Will? 
they did have a great sibling chemistry and uh, uh, Ritu Aru could I get her name right um, she was actually in the Umbrella Academy um, the last series right. um, and the series before that actually um, so that's where I actually knew her from and it was a great chemistry they played well as sisters and it's just weird that everybody or half the cast actually knew some sort of martial arts which made the film funny and I I, if I described it, I'd say it's disorganized, chaotic, fun uh, that doesn't take itself seriously. And you have to just go in with that open mindset to actually enjoy it. Okay, well, I think that sounds like a. Again, they only opened yesterday, Polite Society. It is a certificate 15, I believe, um, and it's showing at the light and the view. I don't think it's showing at the picture house, is it, Vicky? No. So just a light and a view, and it's actually a certificate PG 13. So go with your families and show them some, you know. Kick-ass women doing some martial arts. That's never a bad thing, is it? Cambridge 105 Radio. In 1960s Cambridge, the Rolling Stones performed at the Rex Ballroom, Chris Farlow was on stage at the Alley Club, and Helen Shapiro played live at the Regal Cinema. On Sunday mornings, John Gannon takes you back to the swinging 60s with music and memories. John Gannon's 60s scene, Sunday mornings at 8 on Cambridge 105 Radio. Listen live on Radio Player. Suicide can be prevented. And we can all play our part. One question can save a life. One friend in particular who has been really supportive and been trying to keep me going and keep making contacts and keep making me talk and trying to keep me going, realised something was wrong and was trying to contact me. Asking about suicide won't prompt someone to kill themselves. In fact, it will probably help. If you're worried about someone, would you ask directly about suicide? I kind of got to the point because of all the support that she'd given me and I could see that, you know, she was desperately trying to get hold of me on my phone that I did eventually answer her call. Learn how to have a life-saving conversation at StopSuicidePledge.org. Make the pledge and sign up for a Stop Suicide training workshop. I'd ask, would you? Nick Wombs Professional Painting and Decorating Services is your local award-winning decorating business with a great reputation. Our professional and friendly team can cover all aspects of decorating for domestic, commercial and industrial properties. So whether it's a bedroom makeover or an entire office block that needs repainting, we'll get the job done on budget and on time. Check us out on Facebook or Instagram at Nick Wombs Professional Painting and Decorating Services to see pictures of our work. Or call us today on 07794 516 291. Cambridge 105 Radio. You are listening to the Cambridge Film Show here on Cambridge 105 Radio, and our lovely reviewers, Vicky, Matt, Ash, Will, and Emily, are about halfway through this week's offerings. Four to get through, though, so let's motor. Now, next up, we have cinema release and. Festival Darling, the pitch, back, no, pitch black Norwegian comedy, sick of myself. Apologies to uh, probably our, our millions of Norwegian speaking fans, but um, time constraints mean no trailer at this point. So, this is from director Christopher Borley and tells the story of Sinja and Thomas, who are a couple in contemporary Oslo. As Thomas's star rises as a conceptual artist based on most of the modern furniture that he steals, Sinja's jealousy also increases sort of you know at the same rate a random incident with a dog at her job leads to Sinye hatching a daring plan to regain her own social status and attention both from her boyfriend and everyone else Vicky you saw this back at the Cambridge Film Festival and so you 
were, yeah, you were, you were desperate. Well, not desperate. You were like, we have to see this. Ash and I went to go and see it. And um, it was wonderful. So what, I mean, as I said, this is dark. It's one of those like bottom clenching, uncomfortable things to watch. Absolutely. But utter genius. I've never seen anything that Christopher, Christopher Borley's done before. Have you? No, um, not to date at least. Um, I think the main draw for me uh, when I was trying to programme my festival watches was that this is from the producers of The Worst Person in the World. And obviously last year, we were obsessed with that film. It was everywhere. We couldn't stop talking about it. And that was the big draw for me. And then um, as the film was getting introduced, it was like, so obviously you're here because of the hype around Worst Person, but this film is literally about the worst person in the world and it like that draw and like as it kept going in i was like oh this character's so relatable she has a line that i i really took to heart she was like oh i'm so funny i think i should start a podcast sometime and i was like oh my god she's so me and then like halfway through the film i was like oh oh no where is this going and um that's when i knew it just had me it took me to places I didn't expect to go. It almost became a horror film in ways, um, if you really think about it. The kind of psychological toll that I came out with, I was a bit more scarred than The Evil Dead this week. Um, so I was really nervous to recommend this, but I think this has really pulled off something. And you can like truly see the rise of like Norwegian cinema and Scandi cinema just coming back a little bit. Oh, yeah, for sure. I was thinking that. I was thinking of, after Worst Person in the World, because obviously we talk a lot about Danish cinema. Mm. And then I believe Triangle of Sadness is a Swedish director, mm. isn't it? So, you know, but but, but Norway, I think Norway, maybe it's time for Norway's place in the sun. Also, Oslo is an extremely attractive city, I think, to film in and around. Great sort of architecture. There's a, there's a look to it and a vibe to it. Ash, we went to go and see this together. I think that it, it, it's like no film I've ever seen in the line it treads, like Vicky said, between kind of horror and comedy. Was it almost too uncomfortable for you or did you love it? I do love this kind of thing. And I think even better because I didn't know anything about it before I went in. And all Vicky said was just like, it's a wild ride. You must go and see it and didn't tell us anything. And that's a good way to go into it because it starts as something completely different. And I remember looking over at you about 15 minutes in saying, I love her because she's a little crackers but she's stylish she's got ambition she's confident and like Vicky was saying you do see little bits of yourself in her and her horrible boyfriend but we're inside her head mostly and she says little things to herself and has these little daydreams like oh maybe this could turn into a book or maybe I should do this as a career maybe my life's going this way and these are all things you do find yourself thinking about the difference with, with the lead character is that she acts on them and lives her life out in pursuit of all these heady crazy things she thinks she's able to pull off and I just love watching all the other characters around them so slowly but so visually get bored of all the rubbish that her and her boyfriend put them through. There was, there is, it's just, I think it's only 90, it's only about 90 odd minutes long and the script is so pitch perfect. It's dead. At the, at the end, there's a bit where she like, she raises it. They're, they're with these friends and they've sat and had drinks with them before and she raises a glass and she's like, let's just have a toast to my new successful career. Again. And her friend is like, again. <laughs> and it just is so, it, it's just, it, I don't know, it's just, like you said, Vicky, there are, there are all these bits where you're like, oh yeah, I can totally, and then you're like, my goodness, she's going to places that you wouldn't dream of going and this film goes to places you wouldn't dream that 
to, to go to. And like Ash said, I think the less you know about it going in, the more you are really going to appreciate. She really let the intrusive thoughts win throughout the whole film, and I was just so here for it. Like, not knowing any... I feel the marketing as well of just her bandaged up, smoking a cigarette in a wheelchair with her gown on is the perfect... That's all you need to know, because that's the whole film. Realistically, it is, and I'm really excited to see what this director will bring again because I think it's really, it's neatly directed. It's really, again, that there is that simplicity that that comes that, that came that shone through in kind of worst person in the world, but that's very hard to do and also make fascinating a simplicity in the look of it. Mm. And they do these brilliant, um, her like sort of slight, um, what's the one I'm looking for? Daydream. Yeah, her daydream. Her fantasy sequences mm. are also just awesomely done right up until the end, and you won't see. And I haven't. I'm, I mean, obviously, I'm not an aficionado of Norwegian television and cinema. A couple of familiar faces in it. You do have Anders um, Anders Danielson Lee pops up in a cameo who is obviously the muse of Worst Person in the World's director. Mm. And you have a couple, you do have one of the guys who's in Norsemen as well, which I highly recommend. But in general obviously these are fresh faces. And you say it's about the worst person in the world, Vicky. It is actually really about two of the worst people in the world. <laughs> it truly is. <laughs> Thomas and Sinja are. They will make you feel better about yourself. Um, right. Rave reviews all round, I think, from the three of us for that it is a certificate 15 but be warned it's a pretty hardcore 15 i think um and it's showing at the cambridge picture house and the light highly recommended okay what do we get when captain america meets the best bond girl that we've had in years i was just wondering if you wanted to um you know go out sometime you want to get a coffee now <laughs> yes now <sighs> I'll just hang on. <laughs> when I wake up, well, I know I'm gonna be. I'm gonna Her name is Sadie. Weeks, I'm next to you. I mean, I know this sounds crazy, but I think she might be the one. Yeah, I know I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be the man who goes along with you. She really is great. You'll see. Any word? She goes to them. I bet she hasn't even seen your text. She does travel a lot for work. Go to her. We're going to London. You get it. It's a grand romantic gesture. Yeah, that is amazing, mate. 5,000 miles to surprise a girl that you've only met once, especially if she's the one who ghosted you. No, no, she didn't ghost me. She just doesn't have an international... Oh, call. hello, Apple TV. Are you back with a star-crammed big-budget straight-to-streaming action comedy? Why, why, yes, you are. Chris Evans plays handsome farmer Cole, who seems to be resolutely single due to his slightly needy behaviour despite his dashing good looks. But after a meet-cute at his plant market, he seems to have met the perfect girl in Anna de Armas' Sadie. But after she ghosts him and he chases her to London, which of course is perfectly normal behaviour, <laughs> the action really starts. Matt. Let's start with you. You were keen. You were like, we don't even really need to cover this this week, but I've come up with good reasons to cover this. So, fire away. How was Ghosted for you? I mean, Ghosted's completely fine. I mean, this is a real example of, I think, critics being a bit snooty because I remember I read the Guardian review of this, which was one star, and just thinking, like, why are you getting offended at this? It's, it's completely fine. You've got two of the most professionally attractive and charming people on the planet being attractive and charming at each other for a couple of hours it's a real good compromise movie like maybe you've got someone who likes rom-coms you've got someone who likes action movies you can watch this and you'll both have an okay three-star time 
So something that I find quite funny is that Chris Evans is cast as a farmer, which I think is probably one of the most dubious casting decisions ever, ever since Anna de Armas starred opposite Keanu Reeves when he was playing an architect. I mean, Chris Evans at one point goes... I'm a farmer, not a super spy. It's like, yeah, you could have fooled me, Chris. <laughs> but yeah, this, this movie's fun. Like, you will enjoy it. It's got the standard problematic gender politics of any rom-com, but that's fine. They're both as bad as each other. I'm sure they'll have a good time until they inevitably break up when the adrenaline's worn off. Well, I this is directed by Dexter Fletcher, so you've got you know there's a lot of there and there are a lot of big cameos in this as well, you know. So yeah. obviously he said he, he he could summer a lot of people into this, um, and I really really loved Rocket Man, the Elton John film, was his last feature length. Did you think were the you know the action scenes were they capably directed? Did you have a good time watching this? I I mean one of the arguments is like we've just been talking about this is a straight to streamer, so let's see it as such. Um, it's not trying to be more than it is. Maybe what did you think? Um, I thought the action scenes. Were- were good it was refreshing to actually watch and just to point out um, Apple TV has now set a record for it being the most watched on the first day beating Finch Spirited and Tetris so um, and you actually see Chris Evans I'm like mm, I'm not sure if any of those <laughs> not <a> fan? <laughs> um, but Chris Evans you actually see shades of his Captain America persona uh, just watching it and you're like okay you're supposed to be the, the damsel in distress but it works well at the end of the day. And Anna de Armas, obviously, showing great versatility in her acting. Apparently not in the film Blonde, obviously, I've been told. Um, and oh, I've, I've been told otherwise. <laughs> um, and it's perfect practice for Ballerina, which is the John Wick spin-off next year. And also, please keep an eye out for all the MCU actors, because it's like the who's who within the space of like 10 minutes. That Yeah, this is very true. And obviously, like we said, I, I, I kind of get the feeling that Anna Darmus, after her, her sort of scene in that, but in, in the bomb film, please, mm. can someone remind me which bomb film it was? No Time to Die. There we go. Right? And she looked, we all know that Anna Darmus looks better than just about anybody else kicking, <laughs> kicking men up, beating men up in evening dresses. <laughs> she looks great. And I, for one, was here for the last final scene, which they put into a revolving restaurant, which I haven't seen in the action film before. Ash, you're giving me a wrinkled nose. <laughs> what? I can't even believe you watched this. This is really so far from your Strasse. I mean, you don't even know anyone from NCU. So you were texting us going, is Adrian Brody in the NCU? Is Dave Donovan? So every time, we were like, no, Ash, just wait. Yeah. It's, I do find this kind of thing stupid. I don't like any of the James Bond films. Weirdly, I do love the John Wick films because under duress I was made to watch those. I was like, hang on, these are actually good. Um, but because I don't enjoy this kind of thing, I don't appreciate the level at which I'm supposed to be to enjoy it. So it's all really cheesy and the acting's really hammy to me, but I think it's supposed to be like that. So when someone like Adrian Brody crops up, which is kind of more my speed, and acts everyone off the screen, I'm like, ah, oh, you shouldn't have put him in this because he's really taken me out of the feeling of it now because there's a proper serious actor doing proper serious acting there was and everyone he, else is just kind of mucking around. Was he though? I'm sorry, I'm going to turn to the two other people he's Was Adrian Brody as French super criminal Levesque really acting people? I, I mean, to me, it felt like everyone doing this was having a good time and sometimes, and I think we've talked about this on the show before, sometimes people having a good time, right, having a good time does not translate and it makes you have a terrible time watching it because you're like, well, I'm glad you went somewhere lovely but, you know, this is this still sucks. <laughs> In this case, and I think as you said, Matt, it's very hard not to have a good time when you're watching people as pretty as this <laughs> in nice locations 
in some inventive action scenes. Mm. Just generally, yeah, having... Have, and I, and there were a couple of really funny... Set. The, the, the cameo stuff scene is very funny, and even if you turn it off after that, I think it's worth sticking around for that bit. So one thing I, I thought could have been interesting is if they could have gone the sort of the whole hog in terms of flipping the standard damsel in distress thing, because obviously Anna Darmas is the super spy and Chris Evans is the farmer, but he's a farmer that did wrestling in high school, so he's not completely useless in <laughs> yes, a fight, and he, he does get to suplex a few guys. So maybe it would have been a bit funnier if they'd gone all the way and had him be completely sort of cringing and useless, but... No, he's he's Captain America. He and still I, has shades of that. And I also got I got I got kind of flashbacks to romancing the stone as well and to all of the Nile from this, which I liked. I, I did as I well. Did that. And that is the one second I enjoyed when I was reminded of how brilliant that film is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that is Ghosted. It's a certificate PG. It's streaming on Apple TV. And I think the message from here is like like we said, don't listen to the I mean, I think it's had appalling reviews considering what it is compared to other straight to streamers. And I think that's really unfair. I think there's a lot worse you could do with a bottle of wine on a Friday night than sit down and watch this. I'm always advising wine, aren't I? There's surely been an alcohol warning on this on this show. Right, we've got two more to go, which is good. So now we're going to see how to blow up a pipeline. Hey everyone, welcome back to Boom Talk. Today, teaching myself to make a homemade blasting cap. And if this works, it'll be step one, making our own improvised explosive. Might be headed to Texas for the winter. Once in Texas. This project. What kind of project? Trying to stop the pipeline from being built on my property. Poisons the air, water. Damn, this place is sick. You guys cooking meth in here? You ready to start working? We have to show how vulnerable the oil industry is by hitting something big. Michael, what do you think the odds are we blow ourselves up? I don't really care. Daniel, director Daniel Goldharbour follows up his surreal feminist mind-bender Cam with the politically timey, timely, How to Blow Up a Pipeline. Based on a 2021 book by Andreas Malm, the film follows a team of climate activists in West, Te West Texas prepared to go to great lengths for their cause. Shot like a heist thriller, but also taking a controversial stand on a difficult political discussion, it certainly should lead to some interesting talk. Now, Matt is the only person who got around to seeing this in the picture in, in, in the studio, which I'm very sorry about because I think it could well be your film of the week. Am I right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this was... I can certainly see why this didn't get a release at the multiplex, at least in Cambridge, because it really does wear its politics on its sleeve. I mean, the title of the film is How to Blow Up a Pipeline, not how to achieve incremental reform through market-based solutions. So it, it really does go all out on its political leanings with the quite controversial stance that in the face of climate genocide, destruction of property is not just acceptable but necessary in order for humanity to survive, which is a very controversial opinion. And I, I think this film could be viewed as a piece of... Well, it is a piece of propaganda... But as well as that, it's also a really good and effective heist movie because you've got this fantastic synth soundtrack and you just get dropped straight in with these eight people in the desert trying to put a bomb together, trying to work out how to destroy this pipeline without poisoning the earth by spilling a load of oil everywhere. And then 
anytime there's sort of a mini setback within the heist, you instantly jump to the backstory of one of the characters to sort of get the information as to why these people feel so strongly about the thing that they're trying to do. So you've got this fantastic heist plot that works really well, it's really pacey, really tense, but then you've also got this incredibly strong political message. There's a great scene in it where they're discussing whether they are terrorists. And I think, well, of course we're terrorists. We're attempting to cause change through violence. But, you know, Jesus was a terrorist. People need to remember that what would Jesus do should include flipping over tables and chasing people with whips. Uh, then, then the Native American character gets to say, well, if the American empire calls us terrorists, we're doing something right. Yeah, I, I think it, lots of people should see this film, uh, and it will definitely make you want to go outside and start slashing some tyres. <laughs> Excellent. Um, I haven't. Uh, lo- looking at the cast here, I recognise Marcus Scribner from who, who plays Sean from Blackish, and also Lu- Lucas Gage from Euphoria and White Lotus. Everyone else looks pretty fresh to me. Were there any standouts? Or would you say is it, well, is it a fairly new? ensemble cast we're looking at here Matt well actually the only person I recognised was Sasha Lane who is a bit of an indie darling although she was in that pretty awful Hellboy movie a few years ago but yeah I thought the cast were all really good everyone has this sort of deep seated anger which when you get to see their backstories you really understand why although you know if you just look at the world around us maybe we should all be feeling this anger yeah I thought this was a top top movie it doesn't really go into any justification as to why to blow up a pipeline because that's kind of taken as as obvious I mean just look at the world around you you can see why they need to do this but yeah everyone should see this movie it's, it's really really good and have you, did, did you know anything about, did you, had you seen the uh, surreal feminist mindbender? I may or may not have got that from the internet. Had you seen Cam by Daniel Gold, Goldhaber before? Have you read the book? Did you know anything about this film going into it? Well, other than obviously the fairly obvious title. <laughs> I did, I did research the book and um, the, the book is actually not really related to this at all, other than with the central thesis of property damage as a necessary step to prevention of climate genocide. So I think the the film is really taking the book's kind of moral thesis as its jumping off point and then constructing the narrative around that. Uh, Cam, yeah, Cam's a top movie. I think that's on Netflix. Uh, I didn't realise it was the same director, but yeah, well worth checking out that as well. And is this attractively, I mean, you know, does it, use it loca- does it use its locations well, like, you know, the oil fields of West Texas, which I don't think I've seen since Friday Night Lights, maybe. Is it <laughs> Very different. Um, yeah, does it, 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 does it use its environmental sides, environmental vision as well? Yeah, it looks great. I mean, the the setting is is very. It's it's almost filmed in this kind of washed out style where it looks like it could be a movie from fifteen twenty years ago. And the the soundtrack is this kind of wonderful brooding synth score could almost be taken out of Blade Runner or something like that. Something else I appreciated was the sheer level of chemistry that's actually on display. You don't get many movies where they go into the details of how they're actually putting these bombs together. But yeah, I mean, this movie's a really, really good fun. I mean, even taking aside all the politics, which I guess you can't really do, but just as a pure heist movie, the structure, the pacing, the performances are all brilliant. Yeah, absolutely my film of the fortnight, and it's not even close. Excellent. Okay, well, thank you very much. I would like to make make it clear that lots of us were keen to see this, but we are struggling because, disappointingly, there aren't that many viewings. It is a certificate 15, and it is showing at the Arts Picture House, so so run, don't walk, maybe, and try and grab a ticket. (laughs) Right, we have reached the last film, and it is Vicky's film of the year. Here's a little touch of the trailer. (sighs) 
I'm looking for ruins, specifically a door. A door? Just like he said. Impossible! There's no way! Why? You need to close this door, right? Gates open in lonely places where no human hearts remain. And from those gates... Isn't it? Disaster comes. Okay, that was a touch of the English dub trailer, obviously, of Suzume, which, as I said before the trailer, is Vicky's film of the year, so I'm excited to hear her talk about it. Following Weathering With You and Your Name, Makoto Shinkai is born of Suzume, the story of a teenage girl who, after meeting a young man who's looking for doors, ends up on an expected adventure to save Japan from disasters, which are happening all over the country as the doors to the other side start to open. Vicky. Yes. Film of the year. Yes. Um, I think it's pretty known how much I adored your name. Um, When it first came out, I feel it really transformed the kind of, like, the way Japanese animation was coming to the big screen. Um, It's... Ghibli's like legendary it's loved by all but this really changed because this was like a more mature audience I think your name like it was it looked cutesy from the get go no it's all mystical but then like had a sudden point which just changed that whole atmosphere of it and that is like become Shinkai's kind of like key characteristic in his films and this is a third of his disaster trilogy he's um it, it was the comet in your name and weathering with you, which I really didn't quite like, was the flooding. And then this one was, it's it's earthquakes. It's all based around that. And um, as soon from the get-go, you have Rad Wimps, who he's collaborated with for all of these films. The soundtrack is just there. It like seats you, it gets you ready for what is this incredible kind of adventure, road trip film turned like self-discovery, like young love. Um, I just, you know, I came out crying. Of course I did. I, I just have a big love for for it. <laughs> Emily, you saw this really recently as well at the Pictures, I think last night, and you and you, you we were talking in the car on the way in and you said how great it was. What did you what what yeah, what touched you about about this? I just adored the visuals. I thought it was beautiful. I don't think it was my first trip to the picture house. I don't think everyone there appreciated how many times I gasped at the shots. <laughs> um I thought the story was so well done. Um, the especially the backstory of her and her mother, mm. I mm. thought that was brilliantly done. My only problem with it was the pacing. It felt a little, little yeah. rushed. Yeah, I definitely feel like um, the emotional um, part comes at you quite quickly. Yes. It, like it is there, but um, the the second half of the film is just about her overcoming the trauma of what did happen to her when she was little, which is that her mum died in this um, like a tsunami that took her away, and she was so young she didn't quite come to grasp with that she was no longer there. And her aunt raises her throughout the film, and I think that kind of like realization that um like she is gone for, forever and then it comes with you at you probably within the last maybe 20 minutes you're like oh i've been here for two hours almost i didn't i didn't quite realize i was having to have this emotional overhaul quite so late in the game to it but i, I did appreciate that um they they let the happy you know the love story continue until then 
Yeah. Definitely. I think, yeah, the real, realisation comes at you fast. <laughs> and I definitely cried. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was brilliant, though. Well, that just sounds wonderful. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping, uh, yeah, in fact, I'm hoping to take one of my twins to it tomorrow because he's a big Japanese animation fan, so I'm hoping it's going to be, and he loved your name beyond belief, so I think we're going we're gonna to have a good time. Right, thank you so much to everyone here in the studio, particularly to my dream engineer, Ash, um, but also everyone who's listening for this week. It has been a hectic one. Next show, we have Guardians of the Galaxy 3 and Fast X, I imagine a couple of other things, but also, of course, it is going to be the 13th of May, the next show, which is Eurovision night and I would like to throw out that the Arts Picture House will be live screening Eurovision um, the grand final at the at the Picture House so go along if you want to I'm sure it'll be I'm sure they'll be doing lots of fun stuff there and to celebrate our um, Great Britain entry let's play out with a little bit of May Muller's I Wrote a Song Instead I wrote a song